0: How to Beat the Racists, a Workers' Liberty pamphlet, published September 2001, edited by Mark Osborne. Cut the Roots of Racism, Fight for a Workers' Government, by Sasha Ishmael and Faz Velmi. Quote, It's been quite fun to watch government ministers and the Tories play the race card. It legitimises us. End quote. British National Party leader Nick Griffin. Quote, The emancipation of the working class is the emancipation of all human beings without distinction of race or sex. End quote. Karl Marx. In the 2001 general election, the fascist British National Party more than tripled its average share of the vote. It won almost 12,000 votes across the two constituencies in Oldham, including 16.4% in Oldham West, the highest ever percentage vote for a fascist party in a British parliamentary election. Although the far right in Britain is still very small, results like these raise the spectre of it winning the kind of mass support fascist organisations enjoy in other parts of Europe. The BNP is a racist organisation, but not everyone who voted for it is a hardened racist. Many would in the past have voted Labour, but switched to the BNP to protest against the poverty and deteriorating conditions all around them, conditions which capitalism breeds and about which the Labour government has done absolutely nothing. With new Labour increasingly moving to the right, many people felt that no one represented them. The BNP claimed it represented them. In the face of mass unemployment, poverty and homelessness, and in the absence of a mass movement against these things, working class people of all colours can be persuaded that those physically or culturally different from them are to blame. In Oldham, the BNP had electoral success because it was able to convince thousands of white workers that the persecuted, disadvantaged disadvantaged Asian community, rather than the bosses, or their government, were responsible for unemployment, poor housing, and a crumbling health service. Although it is vital to condemn racism, condemnation is not enough. Labour, the Tories, and the Liberal Democrats all claim to be anti-racist. However, none of these mainstream parties will do what is necessary to undermine the conditions through which racism grows. What is needed is a programme to fix poverty, taxing the rich to provide the jobs, homes and services which working class people, black or white, British born or immigrant, need. Instead, the mainstream parties play us off against each other, scapegoating asylum seekers, single mothers and unemployed benefit scroungers as it suits them. The government's policies on asylum and immigration have helped create a climate in which racism can flourish. Bill Morris, General Secretary of the Transport and General Workers Union and supporter of the Blairite government, was moved to make the judgment in April 2000. Quote, By heralding measure after measure to stop people entering Britain, the Home Office has given life to the racists. End quote. When the government defines asylum seekers as undesirable, they thereby stigmatise black people already living in Britain. Is it any wonder, then, that racist attacks, police racism and other forms of discrimination are commonplace? The fascists follow in the tracks cut by official state racism. They are able to succeed because the labour movement is weak, unconfident after the defeat of the 1980s and the experience of new labour in government. And headed up by weak trade union leaders unwilling to challenge the Tory policies of the quote new Labour end quote government. Our movement has so far not been capable of organising an effective fight against the thousands of social atrocities which workers in Britain are subjected to every day. Our movement will rise again. It will recover its confidence and fight back, but right now the Labour movement neither fights consistently on immediate issues, the destruction of the health service for example, Nor offers the prospect of a socialist society as an alternative to the capitalist system. Nevertheless, as history has shown, only the labour movement can offer black and white workers a vision of a better society, and act to make that vision a reality. No other force can destroy the seeds from which racism and fascism grow. If it were just a matter of a few freaks and lunatics organising on the fringes of society, then racism and fascism could certainly be fought by occasional marches, a few posters, liberal speeches against racism, and a bit of street fighting here and there. But if, as is the case, these social diseases grow organically out of the rottenness of capitalist society, out of the conditions which capitalism creates, then the only serious anti-racism and anti-fascism is the struggle for socialism a society organised around the principles of equality, workers' democratic control and freedom from all exploitation and oppression. Only a government which serves the interests of the majority, of the working class, will be able to cut out the social roots of racism and fascism. The struggle against racism is inseparable from the labour movement's struggle for a workers' government. Class is central. Black, white and Asian workers have far more in common with each other than with the bosses in their own communities. White workers who listen to the poison the tabloids pump out and who persecute and scapegoat black people divide and weaken our class movements. Black and Asian workers who listen to the cultural nationalism of the black middle classes are also turning in the wrong direction. The black middle class whips up support for its own advancement within the capitalist system. Representatives like Labour MP Keith Vaz will not militantly back the interests and struggles of black and Asian workers and youth. Even the left does not always take the fight against racism and for the rights of black people as seriously as it should. The purpose of this pamphlet is to convince labour movement activists of the importance of the fight against racism and anti-racists, of the importance of the labour movement, and the fight to transform it once more into a militant force for human solidarity and progress. A Programme to Beat Racism The Alliance for Workers' Liberty fights for the following programme among socialists and activists in the trade unions, the Labour Party and the Socialist Alliances. We advocate they fight against capitalism and for a workers' government, only by providing positive working-class solutions to the racism and poverty which capitalism breeds, can the labour movement unite workers regardless of race, and stop the fascists' attempts to scapegoat black people, asylum seekers and others. Socialists must be part of the basic organisations of the working class, the trade unions, and help turn them outwards to campaign on the streets and the estates. A decent home for everyone. Stop the sell-off of council housing. Government money should enable councils to undertake a programme of compulsory purchase of empty properties, renovation and house building to create new homes at affordable rents for all who need them. Jobs for all. Cut the working week to 35 hours without loss of pay, create useful jobs by restoring and expanding public services, provide training and retraining at union rates of pay. Restore and extend the National Health Service and the Welfare State. Jobs, training or education for all young people with union rates of pay or an adequate grant. Free secular state education from nursery to university for all. To pay for this, tax the rich and the big corporations, cut arms spending, take control of the banks and financial institutions, defend and extend civil liberties, scrap the anti-trade union laws, fight to make the police accountable to elected local committees, fight to replace the bureaucratic hierarchical capitalist state by a government based on accountability and workers control, scrap the immigration laws, no more deportations, fight for real equality in employment and housing. The allocation of council housing should be on the basis of need, not race, under the disguise of a sons and daughters policy. Special training programs should ensure real equality in employment for ethnic minorities. Equality in the labour movement. No toleration of racist racist prejudice. Union campaigns to recruit and integrate ethnic minority workers. Labour movement support for black communities. Self defence. United black and white workers defence squads to beat back the fascists. The labour movement must stand up and fight. That is the only way to beat the bosses and the racists. If you agree with our ideas and want to help fight for them in the labour movement, join the Alliance for Workers' Liberty. Workers can unite, do unite, by Jim Denham. Even in the midst of bitter industrial struggles, it is not uncommon to hear white trade unionists expressing racist views. In the 1970s, the National Front could boast a number of shop stewards among its membership, including in the British Leyland Longbridge plant, then the largest and arguably best-organised factory in Britain. Nevertheless, trade unions are vitally important in the fight against racism and fascism. Trade union campaigns and industrial struggles that emphasise the common class interest of all workers can at least begin to break down prejudice. The Great Miner's Strike of 1984-5 was a classic example of this, The mining industry and the communities attached to it are almost exclusively white. Some NUM activists, from South Wales in particular, had by their own admission never met a black person socially. Inevitably, many NUM militants had backward views about race, and some were downright racist. The strike changed attitudes fundamentally. Flying pickets found themselves in towns and cities with large black populations and discovered that black people were often their strongest supporters. It became widely known among NUM activists that black and Asian inner city areas were the best places to hold street collections, that black shop stewards were often the best contact in industry, and that Sikh, Hindu and Muslim temples and mosques were far more likely to offer support than white churches. In mid-1985, some months after the end of the strike, I ran into a group of NUM members from South Wales, all dressed in their best suits at the entrance of a Sikh temple in Birmingham. They had come to pay their last respects to the temple's head priest, who had given them support during the strike, and whose funeral was that day. Some of those same miners and habitually used terms like wog and "packy" twelve months before. Something very similar happened in the firefighters' union, the FBU, as a result of their first national strike in 1977-8. Although the union was led by left-wingers in and around the Communist Party, its rank and file were traditionally quite reactionary. Almost exclusively male and white, the fire service was an example of craft unionism at its worst. Many many firemen, and they were all men, came into the service from the police, the army and the navy. Jobs were not advertised, and family dynasties were commonplace. In this environment, soft racism was the norm, and organised fascists were able to operate fairly openly. According to one FBU activist, the strike changed all that. Our members were brought into contact with the wider labour movement for the first time, and we found that black people were often our strongest supporters. Black stewards at places like Lucas were to the forefront in organising collections and meetings for us. Sikh temples gave us support while the white churches turned us away. It didn't do away with racism overnight, but it made people think and forced the racists to at least keep their heads down. The process was helped by the fact that after the strike, the service opened up considerably and many more black people started joining. One of the obvious reasons why racist and National Front supporters had been able to flourish was that there were virtually no black people in the service. If it hadn't been for the strike, the fire service would have continued as before. Bill Morris, General Secretary of the Transport and General Workers Union, is the most prominent black trade union official in Britain. His decisive victory in the 1991 election for General Secretary represented a big step forward for anti-racism and for common decency in British society. Morris had fought his way through the hierarchy of the TGWU, starting off as a shop steward in the West Midlands motor industry in the 1950s and 60s. It can't have been easy for him representing mainly white workers in an industry where racism was rife. but by all accounts, his rise in the union was due to the respect he won even from racists, as a competent, dedicated, and fairly militant steward. When Morris became a leading union official, for years he was the victim of a vicious whispering campaign from the union's shadowy but influential right wing. The gist of it was, quote, Bill's a nice enough bloke, but he's not really very bright, is he? He's not up to the job. He's only got where he is because he's black. End quote. During the contest for general secretary in 1991, the anti-Morris campaign got nastier. An unofficial leaflet circulated in Midlands engineering factories carrying the slogan, quote, Don't let the coon call the tune. End quote. Morris's opponent, George Wright, went on record condemning this filth. But given the extensive contact he and his supporters had with the national press, he might have been a little more upfront about disowning his racist supporters. Morris emphasised workers' unity across ethnic divisions. A defeat for him would have been conclusive proof that racism remained potent in the trade union movement. He won decisively. The fact that he has not been a militant or effective leader since then, and has been particularly weak in recent years, does not make Morris's victory any less important. Moreover, he has been one of the very few trade union leaders to criticise racist Labour Party policies, using his position to oppose the Blair government's persecution of asylum seekers. The election of one general secretary does not eradicate racism in the trade union movement any more than the election of a number of black mayors and judges has mended the position of most US black people. But it does show that a program of basic workers' unity has a resonance in the British working class. Racism is not invincible. The last few years have seen inspiring examples of working class action against racism, which though small in scale show the huge possibilities of class unity against prejudice. In the run-up to the 1997 general election, postal workers in a number of offices refused to deliver British National Party leaflets. Since then, postal workers have regularly refused to deliver fascist election material. And in 2000, the National Conference of the Communication Workers' Union voted to support them forcing Royal Mail to retreat from its attempts at disciplinary action against militant postal workers. In 1999, a 1,000 TGWU members at Ford's Dagenham plant walked out in protest of the victimisation of Indian worker Sukjit Palmer by a racist foreman. The management at Dagenham had long refused to admit that it had any problem with racist harassment or discrimination. The walkout forced it to the negotiating table in a matter of hours. Union-backed black workers at Dagenham have won court cases against racist discrimination they have suffered while working at the car plant. Working class unity can prevail. Back in 1968, TGWU Dockers in London marched in support of Enoch Powell's Rivers of Blood speech. In the 1990s, members of the same union elected the first black general secretary in Britain and downed their tools in protest at management racism. There is hope.